Well, this morning we are coming to the end of a four-week discussion, a four-week journey in which we have asked this question, what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus Christ? And at the heart of this discussion has primarily been the topic of time, the time that we choose to invest in three primary relationships that we've talked about, the time that we give to those things. And the first one is our relationship with God. The second is our relationship with brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And the third one is the relationship that we have with those who do not yet know Jesus. That, that first relationship, is, it's the most important one because if we don't get that relationship right, it will skew every other relationship that we might have. And so that first relationship that we have with God, we call it our God time, and it's the time that we spend uh, each day uh, in fellowship with God, reading the Bible, studying the Bible, and listening. That's so important. I was thinking about that this week, that it's really easy for us to invest time in reading and studying, but it's also important for us to invest time in listening, okay? Equate it to maybe husbands and wives. If you spend all of your time just uh, uh, talking to your spouse and you never spend any time listening, let me know how that works out for you. It's important to spend some time listening to what God might want to say to you through his Holy Spirit. The second relationship is the relationship that we have with people right here in inside the fellowship uh, of the family of God, the fellowship of the church, those who are a part of this amazing family of God. And that relationship is nurtured through our gather time. That's what we're doing here right now. The time that we come together and we, we get to worship together and we get to fellowship together. And then the third part is our grow time. Uh, that's the time that we spend together. We talked about this last week. We spend together growing our faith. We talk specifically about discipleship and small groups and Bible studies and, and things along that line. Uh, uh, the third relationship, however, is the relationship that we have with people who don't know God at all. And probably every single one of you here this morning has at least one, and probably many more than that, relationships with people who do not know God at all. They have no relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you've been tracking with me for the past few weeks, you'll understand that that each relationship kind of spills over into the, to the other. It starts you know, with that first relationship, the, the, the God time, and, and we spend time with God and we're nurturing that relationship and then it spills into our gather time as we, we begin to gather for worship and we enjoy that time and we're encouraged by that time and then it spills over into our grow time which is when we're engaged in discipleship and encouraging one another and praying for one another and loving one another and then it finally spills into what we're going to talk about this morning which is our go time. And go time is simply this. It's spending time going on mission. So we have our God time, our gather time, our grow time, and now our go time. Now each week we've taken a look at the life of Jesus to be a model for us uh, for each one of these time commitments. And we we saw the time that Jesus spent in communion with his Father in prayer, very purposeful. Uh, scripture tells us that he did it on a regular basis. It was a part of Jesus' daily life to be in fellowship with his Father. We also see that Jesus spent time gathering with other believers in the synagogue. Worship was important to him. And we see that Jesus spent time in discipleship, in that grow time. But we also see that Jesus spent time uh, in what we call our go time. And I, I want to tell you a story this morning from Jesus' life 
You can find this entire story in John chapter 4 if you want to go back and read it. But I just want to tell you the story this morning. In this story, Jesus and his disciples were traveling, uh, and they stopped in a city called Sukkar. Uh, They were hungry, and so Jesus' disciples went off to get some food, and Jesus hung back, and he waited by a well there that was in the city for the disciples to return. And while Jesus was there, a, a woman came by to draw water from the well. Now, this woman was a Samaritan woman, and that will become significant for us in a moment, but as she approached the well, Jesus simply asked her if, if, if he could have a drink of water. Now, it would have been very apparent to her as it was apparent to him that they were not cut from the same cloth. Jesus would have known this is a Samaritan woman, and this Samaritan woman would have known that Jesus was a Jew, and right there we have a problem. You see, there was dissension between the Samaritans and the Jews. They were not to associate with one another. In fact, When Jews would be traveling from Judea to Galilee, they would actually go all the way around Samaria because they didn't want to step foot inside that place. That's how bad it was. And so for Jesus to stop and to talk to this woman is fairly significant. She's amazed that Jesus would want to talk to her. She, Jesus asked her for a drink of water, and she, she says, but you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? You see, what Jesus was doing in that moment was he was just simply breaking through any culture barrier that might have existed. He did not care where she came from. He did not care what she looked like. He did not care who she was, what she had done. He just simply, in that moment, wanted to show her some love. He wanted to have a conversation with her. And so Jesus began to talk with her, and some of you know the story, but He ends up sharing the gospel with her, and he talks about something called living water, and that he came to bring it, and she ends up giving her life to Jesus. And she goes back to her village, and by the time Jesus' disciples return from Taco Bell, there are all these people that have come with her, all these other Samaritans that she has brought from her village, and she, because she wants them to also hear from Jesus. And what we see happen there in John chapter 4, about verses 30, 31, 32, the disciples come up and they're urging him. They're saying, Jesus, you need to eat something. And he says to them in verse 32, he goes, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. And they're like, did somebody else, did somebody else grab you some tacos? Did somebody else get you something, Jesus? We missed that. And he says this in verse 34 and verse 35. April, I've lost control, so you're going to, you got it. He says this in verse 34 and verse 35. He says, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Let me stop right there for a minute. See, the disciples were primarily concerned about their stomachs right here. They were concerned about whether or not Jesus had eaten. They were probably also concerned about the fact that Jesus was hanging out with the Samaritan woman. And in that moment, he says, don't you see? This food means nothing to me. What's nourishing to me is doing the work that God has called me to do. That's what fills my tummy. That's what encourages my spirit. This is what's important to me, he says. And he says this, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say this, wake up and look around because the fields are already ripe for harvest. You know what was happening in that moment is Jesus' disciples They were there, they had the food with them. 
Jesus, have you eaten? Jesus says, you don't get it. You don't understand. Wake up. Open your eyes. Look. The field is ripe for harvest. What Jesus was seeing was a group of people that had come with a Samaritan woman who were hungry for living water. They were hungry for something else. The field is ripe for harvest. Why are you so consumed with with what you picked up at the store to eat when there's people all around you that are hungry for life? The field is ripe for harvest. Wake up and look around. You see, Jesus, he wanted the gospel to penetrate every part of culture. It didn't matter that she was a Samaritan woman. He didn't care about that. He didn't just want the Jews, his own culture to hear. He wanted all the cultures to hear. And Jesus lived his life on mission with God to expand his kingdom. Where? To every tribe and every tongue and every nation and every people. And this was so much of Jesus' mission that even after his death and his resurrection, he spends 40 days with his followers before he ascended to heaven and during those 40 days, he spent some time showing them proofs of, uh, of, his, of his death and his resurrection. He also spent some time talking to them about something very important regarding their mission. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to spend the rest of our time together this morning. We're going to land right there. Now this book, as you're turning there, this book was written by Luke, who also, by the way, wrote a book called... Luke, that's right. This is, this is considered Luke's second book, and we kind of know that partially by what he says right there in the beginning. He says, in my first book, I told you this. So in his first book, Luke was focusing primarily on the ministry of Jesus up until the point that he ascended. But in Acts chapter one, Luke does something very important because he goes back and he basically writes just a little bit more about what happened in those 40 days that Jesus was with his followers before he ascended into heaven. And these are important 40 days because what Jesus chose to focus on in those days is is pretty important and Luke was very specific about it. So let's look together. We're going to be in verse 3, Acts chapter 1, verse 3. This is what it says. It says, during the 40 days after he suffered and died, that would be Jesus, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And listen, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. So for 40 days, For 40 days after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus talked about one thing. He talked about the kingdom of God. And when we say that Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God, we have to understand that what Jesus was talking about was God's work and God's activity in the world that resulted in people being in a right relationship with him. It is the big picture of what God is doing all over the world. You see, sometimes we we might make the mistake of reading this scripture and think that for 40 days, Jesus spent time telling the disciples just how gold the golden streets were going to be, or just exactly what color their room in the mansion was going to be. That's not what Jesus spent time talking about. He didn't tell them about what he was going to build for them. He was telling them what the kingdom of God is really about and their mission and their involvement with it. Let's keep reading as we look there, Acts chapter one, verse four. It says, once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. 
John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We read about this in Acts chapter two when the Holy Spirit fell on them. They were gathered together praying. We've talked about that in the past few weeks. The Holy Spirit fell on them at Pentecost. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in another language. Peter preached some awesome messages, and guess what happened? People got saved, and the church grew exponentially. Verse six, so when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Have you ever, have you ever had a small child in your house that just couldn't get off this one question? Mom, what, what time are we gonna eat? I'm making supper right now. Mom, what time are we gonna eat? Well, it's gonna be a little bomb. Mom, what time are we gonna eat? Uh, get out of here. Here, when Jesus is talking to them about what the kingdom of God is gonna be about and, and has demonstrated all these things, their question is, so when are you going to restore our kingdom? It's important. When are you going to restore our kingdom? Are you going to make things the way they were before? You see, there was at that time with Jesus' disciples and with many people, there was this expectation that, that the promised Messiah was gonna be the one who would come in and it would assume control through, through means of, 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 of the government, through means of authority and power and rule and reign. They, they expected and they anticipated that Jesus would be some kind of a warrior, riding in on a white horse and, and cutting everybody down with his big powerful sword, taking out their oppressors. And so the question for them, even after all these things have happened, when are you gonna restore Israel, Jesus? When are you gonna restore our kingdom? And listen to what Jesus says. He says, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. <laughs> Jesus doesn't really answer their question to their satisfaction. He essentially says to them, I don't even have that answer for you. Only the Father knows the dates and the times. And we've talked about this before at great length, but this should be a major point of emphasis for us in our Christian life, church. You see, so much of Christianity has become focused on the what and the when of Jesus' return. So much of Christianity spends a lot of time trying to read the supposed tea leaves of Scripture to figure out just what has to happen and when it has to happen in order for Jesus to return. When Jesus himself said, I don't know, you won't know. But he shifts the discussion. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, Acts 2 and you will be my witnesses. You'll be my witnesses throughout Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now do you know what a witness is? See, a witness is someone who has experienced something. A witness is someone who has seen something. You know, maybe on the way home from church today, you'll be driving down the street and you will see an accident in front of you. You are now a witness to that accident. And, 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 and one of the, the perhaps moral obligations or ethical obligations we have is to then 
stay and wait so that when the police officer shows up, we can say, officer, this is what I saw. More and more people just leave, like let somebody else handle it. But we do kind of have an obligation because we are a witness of what we have just seen. Let me tell you a story. Eight years or so, I have a great, I have a good friend, a good friend of Janice and I's couple friends. He is, um, we've, we've done a lot of fun things with him. And he said to me, I'm a huge KU basketball fan. I'm also, I, listen, let me just say this. I am also a Kansas City Chiefs fan, and I do 100% eat crow. Congratulations, you guys won. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm a big Kansas basketball fan, and we were living in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and he called me up one day. He goes, hey, man, how would you like to go see a Kansas game? I'm like, okay. How? And he's like, he has a plane, and he goes, we're going to fly from Hot Springs, we're going to fly to Lawrence, and we're going to go see uh, KU play Iowa State. And I was like, are you kidding me? He goes, yep, we're going to do this. And so, so we got in his plane, my, my wife and I, and, and he and his wife, and we flew to, to Kansas. I mean, you want to talk about feeling like, I mean, dun, dun, you know, uh, we were rolling in there, landed in the airport, got a car, went out to dinner at one of the best places that I love to eat. It's called the Free State Brewery, don't worry. Uh, they just have these incredible fish and chips. I make like, the best thing in the world. We had a great meal. We hooked up with uh, Jan's sister and her husband. We got to see some family. We went to the game, and the KU won, naturally. And after the game was over, I, mean, I remember one second. We were sitting, I remember exactly where we sat. It was this great kind of a corner seat. We could see the whole court. It was just so much fun. It was just, we have great pictures from that night. We got back in the car, went back to the airport, got in the plane, flew back to Hot Springs, and we were there back home in time to go to bed. <sighs> you know why I can tell you that story? Because I experienced every bit of it. And that was just such a cool moment for me in my life to be able to do that because we don't live that way. Most of us don't. But for one afternoon and one evening, we got to feel like we were maybe in a slightly different place in life and we got to fly in a plane and go to a game and eat dinner. I've had also the incredible experience of witnessing my five children being born. I will not tell you that story. <laughs> I have witnessed a company of Marines work together to get themselves over a significant obstacle after multiple days of no sleep and no eating and just being completely physically and mentally exhausted. I've experienced that. I could tell you about what that feels like and the feeling when you get to the end and they finally call you a Marine for the first time. I've witnessed someone finally reach a place of full heart surrender to Jesus and the transformation that takes place in their life as a result of that surrender. I, I have witnessed these things, I've experienced these things, I can talk about those things. Now if we were to keep reading through the book of Acts, we would see that the rest of the story is the mission of God being accomplished through, through the plan that he laid out right here in verse eight but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. These disciples lived out being witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we can read about it in Acts and the other letters that we find in the New Testament. The book of Acts is, is still being written, though, because in obedience to Acts 1 and 8, we are still carrying out the mission. 
From one generation to the next, the mission is carried out. The mission is lived out. And now, guys, we have to carry out that mission. We are called to be witnesses in Tuscarawas County and in Ohio and in the United States and to the ends of the earth. We have a responsibility to tell the story of Jesus. Let me make it just a little bit more personal for you. I have a responsibility to tell the story of Jesus. Would you say that with me this morning? I have a responsibility to tell the story of Jesus. One more time. I have a responsibility to tell the story. Well, that's why we, that's why we pay you, Pastor, right? Wrong. Look again at Jesus' words in verse 8. He says this, he says, you will be my witnesses. I'm sorry, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Now, do I need to remind youans what that means? If you weren't here last week, go back and watch it. I know, I, I got a lot of pushback on that one. Apparently, y'all is the thing around here, which I'm totally cool with, but some of you keep saying youans and you're throwing me off, Mike. Also notice what Jesus did not say. He did not say that you should do some witnessing. He said that you will be my witnesses. And here, here's what that means. Witnessing is not what I do for Jesus. A witness is what I am as a follower of Jesus. When you become a follower of Jesus, you become a witness. So the question is not, do you want to be a witness? <laughs> the question is, what kind of a witness are you? Are you a good one? Are you a bad one? Because as a follower of Jesus, guess what? You are a witness. Remember, a witness is someone that has seen or experienced something, and they can tell others about it. So here's what a witness is not. A witness is not a persuader. A witness is not a convincer. A witness is not an arguer. A witness is someone that, that has seen or experienced something and can tell others about it. And Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses. They were witnesses of what Jesus had done. And they were to tell the story from their own personal experience. It was to be their testimony. You know what this means for us? It means that we should have a story. We, we should have a, a testimony about our own personal experience with Jesus in our lives. Do you have a personal experience? Do you have a story? Do you have a moment in your life when you surrendered control of your life? And you embraced the forgiveness that he gives, the cleansing that his shed blood provides. Were you born again into God's family? Because if you have that story, all you gotta do is tell somebody. You don't have to be a biblical scholar. You don't have to be a, a pastor or a preacher. You don't have to have all kinds of scripture verses memorized. All you have to know is, I was blind, but now I see. Some of you may not know how to do this, so I'm gonna give you a, 
pretty simple outline, and it goes with these three statements. Before I met Jesus, when I met Jesus, and since I met Jesus. Before I met Jesus, when I met Jesus, and since I met Jesus. Let me tell you my story. I grew up in the church. My father was a pastor and a missionary all of my life, and so I was exposed to church, I was exposed to the Bible, I was exposed to godly parents and a godly home all of my life. And so when I was in about sixth grade, I decided that I wanted to be baptized. I wanted to receive this gift of salvation. And so I was. I went forward to the altar, I, I prayed the prayer, I made the decision, I was baptized. And I remember that night as we were driving home, my mom asked me, she said, how do you feel? And I said, mom, I feel different. And I continued to live basically the rest of my junior and senior high years with my feet in two worlds. I had one foot in the world of a follower of Jesus Christ, and I had one foot in the world of chasing the things of the world. As a consequence, as a result of that, when I got to my, the end of my senior year, I really didn't fully know what I wanted to do, and I floundered. I went off to Bible college for a little while, that didn't work, and I came back, and I worked um, for my now wife's dad for a little while, and that didn't work, and so I eventually joined the Marine Corps. And for somebody who does not have their feet firmly planted in a relationship with Jesus Christ, any branch of service is gonna be a challenge for you. So I went off to join the Marine Corps. Janice and I got married. We moved to Hawaii, and while we were in Hawaii, I got temporarily assigned to Okinawa, Japan. And when I was in Okinawa, Japan, I had two primary objectives. The first one was to work, and the second one was to party. I did just fine with the work, had a great experience there, grew a lot, learned a lot, really developed my craft, but I also developed my other craft. And I remember one night in particular, I had been out, it was a Friday night, and I had, I had been working that whole evening on that other craft. And I, I managed to make my way back through the security gate at the front gate, which was amazing. I got all the way back to the barracks room. And I, had, I was so intoxicated that I fell into alcohol poisoning. And that night, I spent hours trying to expel from my body to the point I had nothing left to expel from my body. And I became really desperate. And I realized I was in a bad place, in a bad way. And uh, so I did something hyper-spiritual. You probably have done this before. I don't recommend it. It's the worst Bible study method in the world. I grabbed the Bible that my mom had given me when I graduated high school and was going to go off to Bible college. I pulled it out from my nightstand because it surely wasn't out there being used. And I placed it on the desk and I dropped it open. I said, all right, God, show me something. And this is what I read from the book of James. James chapter four. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, 
for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. So that night, on the floor of my barracks room, with nothing left to give in my physical body, I began to weep. I began to weep and I prayed and I said, God, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to live with one foot in one world and another foot in another. I'm tired. Because I realized that this lifestyle that I was choosing to live, like everybody that saw my Jesus foot had no idea that I had a world foot. Because I was good. I grew up in the church. I know exactly what to say. When to say it, how to say it. But I knew that every day that I would actively choose to ignore what God was saying to me, I was actually pushing him away. That night, God got a hold of my life. That night, I experienced a kind of surrender that I had never experienced before, even as a young boy, when I had been saved and and I knew that something was different. That night is when I really met Jesus. It was a uh, dramatic turning point in my life. My love for him grows every day. It has not always been easy. My wife thinks I am, but I'm not perfect. I still struggle. I still fight battles. But I know now, since I actually welcomed Jesus into my life, I'm not fighting those battles on my own. Each day is a day of growth. Each day is a day of renewal in my life. And my life has remained submitted to Jesus Christ. Now, I I feel like in that moment on that night, I truly met Jesus, and I've never been the same. Now, before I go any further, I just want to pause here for just a moment. And I'm going to ask all of you that are in this room, those that are watching with us online, even if you're home all alone right now, to just bow your heads for a moment. And let me ask you this morning, do you know Jesus? Do you have a Jesus story? See, if you don't know Jesus, maybe you are living right where I was. Maybe you had one foot in each world. You're being a follower of Jesus and still chasing after the things of the world. Maybe you're like I was and you weren't even sure what you needed to do or how to do it. And I just want to tell you this morning as someone who has been there, 
I have lived that life and I've experienced what it's like to fully surrender to Jesus. I want you to know that he can bring clarity. He can bring direction and he can bring peace to your life. The incredible thing about knowing Jesus is that you can make the decision to do that right where you are, whether you're in this room or at home today. The Bible says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I'm inviting you right now to do what I did so many years ago. To just lay it all out before him. And you can say this prayer with me in your verbally right now or in your spirit. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that my sin separates me from you. I know that you love me. I surrender control of my life to you. And I am choosing today to turn from the sin that is in my life to receive salvation. I want you to be my Savior and my Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Amen. Now look up here. Guys, that's the power of a story. Some of you this morning may very well have prayed that prayer with me. And for the first time in your life, you really prayed that prayer. Or maybe it's not the first time in your life, but you've prayed a prayer like that before. The prayer itself has no power, no magic, by the way. It's what happens in your heart. There's not actually a prayer that we can find in Scripture that, that we can use for this. It's a prayer from our heart, a prayer of submission, a prayer of confession. of actually accepting and receiving what Jesus has for us. I don't, I don't like to do the whole bow your heads and raise your hands and thing. I don't like to do that. But I am going to ask you to do this. If you made that decision today, I would really like to know. Because I want to connect with you. Because this is the start of something significant. I can promise you that. I can also tell you it won't be easy. But it begins with that. You see, over the course of the series, we've asked this question, what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus Christ? And we've learned that to be a follower of Jesus, that we need God time. It's time spent daily in fellowship with him. We need gather time, spending time each week gathering for worship. We need grow time, time spent growing in our faith with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we need go time. That go time is time spent going into the world telling the story of Jesus, being his witnesses. So I want to give you this challenge today. All of this falls under the umbrella of what we've been calling the 5% life. Remember, all these things are how we choose to invest the time that we have. And my challenge to you is not just to choose to invest in one of these areas. 
Don't say, you know what, I'm just going to really focus on this one. I want to challenge you to choose to invest in all four of them. Each one of these areas. And, and I will give you this assurance. Here's, here's the pastor guarantee. Ready? If you will accept this challenge, I promise you it will deepen your walk with the Lord. I promise you. If you will accept this challenge, I promise you that you will grow in community with your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. I promise you. Too many people in the church today say, well, I just, I'm just not connecting, you know, we're just not really getting to meet anybody. You're not doing these things. <laughs> I promise you, you will grow in community if you accept this challenge. And I promise you that you will have the opportunity to engage in the work of God in ways that you have never experienced before. So here's what it looks like. God time. Time spent daily in fellowship with God. That's, remember we talked about 1% of your day. That's 15 minutes. Gather time. Time spent weekly gathering for worship. 1% of your week. That's 90 minutes. Grow time. Time spent monthly growing in faith with others. 1% of your month. That's seven hours. And then the last one, go time. Time spent annually going on mission. 2% of your year. That is seven days. You're like, listen, I barely get seven days vacation. Relax. Hold on. This is a lot easier than we think it is. But let's just think about it for a minute. Let's say that 100 of you embrace this. What if 100 people said, you know what, Pastor, I'm gonna commit to the go time, okay? That's 700 hours, sorry, 700 days of, of work. 700 days of go time, of engaging with the world, of going on mission, that's, that's almost 200 years, or two years. That's almost two years worth of work. So I'm just gonna ask you very simply, just start doing it. I'm not gonna have you fill out a commitment card. I'm not gonna, you know, make you make a pledge. I'm just gonna ask you to start doing it. I know that some of you have already embraced some parts of this challenge. I've heard from some, you know, for the first time ever, reading scripture every day. That's amazing. I love that. That's the first and most important step. So my challenge is just do it. Just start doing it. Some of you have been always committed or newly committed to being here every weekend and gather time, and that's awesome. Some of you have already engaged in grow time. You're part of small groups. You're trying to get engaged with discipleship. That's great. But just start doing it. It's super simple. Start living the life of a Jesus follower by making a personal commitment to give God a part of each day. To give yourself for the purpose of gathering, for worship each week, and fellowshipping consistently. I know that some of you are probably thinking about this go time. How do we do this go time? Well, there's a lot of things that are a part of our culture right here at MP Naz. We have our Mission Sundays, which are going to look a little bit different this year. We're going to be creating opportunities for you to serve. You can help load tough bags on a Saturday morning. You can help prepare a meal for friends of the homeless. You could go out and build a ramp with our ramp team, building wheelchair ramps. 
You could go on a short-term mission trip. You could go on our One Heart Mini Hands trip, which is coming up in 2023, going to Indianapolis. We're going to take a team out there, and you could knock out, you could knock out three or four days right off the bat. And I'm just, just skimming the surface. There are so many ways that you can go that don't require a passport. <laughs> there are so many ways that you can go. You just have to choose to do it. You have to want to do it. And if we will just start with 5% as a starting point, I know it will grow from there. And think about how the mission that God has given us could be exponentially accomplished. If, if this became a movement of disciples that made disciples, who make disciples, who are all taking up the challenge to live the life of a Jesus follower. Our mission here at MPNAS is to guide those who feel unloved and unwanted into the loving embrace of Jesus. And I want to invite all of you, all of you to join us on that mission. But the only way we're going to experience success in that go time is if our God time and our gather time and our grow time are on point. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are thankful today for your scripture, for the life of Jesus that teaches us some very simple things that we have been talking about these past four weeks that all really center around what it looks like for us to follow you, for us to obediently follow you, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ goes well beyond receiving the gift of salvation. To be obedient means a change in how we live our lives. It means a reorientation in our priorities. It may mean making some decisions that are hard, that, that hurt a little bit because it goes against the grain of what we might want or what we might desire, but you have called us to be set apart. And so, Lord, I pray as we mull over all of this 5% life challenge that we would not approach it weak-heartedly or timidly, but we would take the big step that says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to commit to this, and I'm just going to trust you, God. I'm going to trust what your Word says. I'm going to trust that the time I give to you will be restored to me, both in my spirit, Father, but as I have experienced in some incredibly practical ways. I'm going to trust, Father, that when I gather with those who are like-minded, my brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, that that time is going to be a time of encouragement, that I'm going to develop friendship where trust and exists and care for one another exists and love for one another exists. I'm going to have open eyes and open ears to see where you want me to go and what you, don't want, what you want me to do. And I'm going to be willing to go outside of the areas where I am most comfortable. God, would you use us to be a mighty witness for you in all that we do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us this morning to sing? 